I'm glad you're here. At 8.15 in the morning, actually it's now 8.30. I, I know some of you snuck, out a, snuck in a little late. That's okay. We'll, we'll just talk to you after the service. Uh, but uh, we're glad you're here. We're, we're a couple of things we got to show you. One, the missions banquet is coming up, and it's, we call it the banquet. It's missions dinner, really, uh, where we have people from, uh, if you look at all the flags above us, that's only, and in the back, that's only... There's 65 nations represented at Bethel's Rock. People from 65 different nations. We have this great uh, mom from Kenya that's with us right now. It's good to have you here. Uh, she is an evangelist from uh, Nairobi, Kenya, and, uh, and, and she spoke on Wednesday night here at Richfield, so it's so blessed to have you here, and if you get a chance to meet her, you should do that. But we have uh, about 60-some nations that will be cooking for this dinner, and, uh, and last year, or two years ago when we did it, we were at the Apple Valley campus before it was, was Bethel's Rock, and did the dinner there, and we packed that gym out, and so we've had to move it. Now that we added Apple Valley, we need to move it, so it's now going to be in Rosemont at the um, Hope Field House. Uh, the people who started Hope Field House go to our Farmington campus, and they they built that facility, and it's just a large, large facility in Rosemont. And it, the reason it's in Rosemont is because we it, it, finding a place that's that large uh, that was able to work with the restraints that we have of putting on. Uh, we're going to have videos. We're going to have speakers. It's going to be an incredible evening and incredible food. And this this time, I promise, we'll have. Have enough food. Uh, last time we had 50 full trays of food and we ran out and there were people who didn't even get rice. And, and I thought it was a great illustration, although people weren't super happy, but 42% of the world have never heard about Jesus one time. So we, I'm like, let's not complain about not getting any rice right? It, it, but it was, great, it was a great illustration of the number of people who have not even, even eaten one time. And we need to take the gospel to them. We need to be salt of the world. So you have to buy tickets for that. You can get them in the lobby as well as the event with the, uh, 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 the women. Now, uh, how many are enjoying Life Hacks and the Life Hack campaign? If you saw that video that we did. That is commission. You'll be seeing that in Life Hacks and just a number of testimonies of people's lives being changed that don't attend Bethel's Rock. Almost 100 people attending Life Hacks that don't even come to the church. People that, in many cases, don't go anywhere. And so you've been doing an incredible job inviting your neighbors and friends, the small groups, and I want to say thank you. But more important than me, I think Jesus wants to say thank you for that. So give yourself a hand for actually being the salt of the earth and stewarding your influence the way God is calling you to do that. I want to take you to 2 Corinthians. And it's such an incredible... Oh, I have two other things. I, I, now, next week I'm on vacation. Now, I know what that means for some of you. That means you're on vacation from church. <laughs> you should not do that because next week there is an incredible speaker. Linda Seiler is going to be here She'll be talking about the issues, uh, a lot of things, but she'll be talking about identity and sexu sexuality and all of that type of stuff. It will move the needle in your heart. 
and she's going to speak on Monday night at the Apple Valley campus and do a Q&A on Monday night at, at uh, 6 o'clock, and then after that, she's going to have a special meeting with those that are going through that. Then the following week, Sam Huddleston is going to be here. Now, he is, I've been trying to get him for two years and just hasn't worked out, but he's going to be here for, so for the next two weeks, you're going you're gonna to get blessed by some people of God that are just going to pour into your life, want you to be involved with that, be a part of that, bring friends, please. Whenever I'm gone, that's when you should bring your friends. Okay, 2 Corinthians 5.17, here it is. Some of you are going, I can do that, I get it. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, anyone in here in Christ, I, I think there's a lot of people hanging around Christ. I think there's a lot of people that kind of think they're by God, but are we in Christ? Uh, the new creation has come, the old is gone, and the new is here. I remember when I was in high school at, at 12, well, I wasn't in high school at 12, but right in junior high in that period of time, I remember going to a little altar in Ripon, Wisconsin, and receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And really, I think that was not only the time that I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but it was also the moment that I really, truly gave my life to Christ. And something happened inside of me that would change my life forever. I could no longer deny that this wasn't a religion, this wasn't a set, a, a set of beliefs, it wasn't a bunch of rules and restrictions, that there was something real about having a relationship with Jesus. Something happened inside of me, and I think there are a lot of believers that have gotten stale, they've lost some of their saltiness, they've lost their excitement for what God has done, and the reality is, in that moment, I knew everything changed in my life. And I wanted everyone to know that something changed in my life and something needed to change in their life. And you know me, I'm a pretty bold person. So I had no problem going to my friends and telling them, hey, you know, I, I experienced in my life, this is real. Even yesterday, I had the opportunity of talking to someone who is a, just a great, great person and just saying, like, this, this, this God thing changes everything. It's part of every part of your life. It's not just, it's just not a room in your house. It's not a moment in time. It is a part of every part of my house, every part of my life. Because the creator is involved in my marriage. He's involved in raising my kids. He was involved when I work. He is involved how I live in my neighborhood. Christ is part of that. Amen. He's, he should be part of every part, but we love to compartmentalize him to one part of our life and then say, yeah, that explains that part, but, but God really isn't the answer in how I'm raising kids. He really is. That's the problem. If you think that way, you're going to have some challenges in raising your kids. Isn't it funny how people separate? Uh, I was uh, uh, talking to a teacher, and I said, it's amazing to me how they can remove God from school and then have all the chaos and not make the connection that maybe it had something to do with the fact that we've completely removed truth from our educational system. And, and I said, it doesn't make any logical sense that we would remove an ancient book if it wasn't that big of a deal, if it's not that much of a problem, if it's not that important of a book, then why do we have a problem with it in our schools? If it's just like every other book, why do we have a problem with one of the oldest books in the history of the world being in our schools? 
right? It makes no logical sense. And they just sit there like deer in your headlights looking at you like, I don't have an answer, but I'm not going to uh, agree with it. Because there is a literal an attempt, there is, there is evil activity working in the world around us. But we're the light. We're the light, right? That brings hope to people. And I'm not suggesting we go out and we... Uh, argue with people, that's not going to win anyone to Christ. But we have to recognize that we are still the salt and the light. And if there is a hope in this world, it's you. It's you. Uh, a few weeks ago, I showed the illustration of how, how because people are starting now to cancel culture and to attack, we've, we've kind of gone as the light under the bushel and kind of have hidden in the four walls of the church. I, I, you, if you're sitting there and you're thinking, well, not me, Pastor, I, I, don't, I don't do that. I, I agree with you. We need to get outside the church. I just want to encourage you, even when you face those who come at you pretty hard, don't quit just because you hit one rock or hard place. There are people out there that are in season. They're ready. They're, they're ripe. And you have to find them. And there's some people it's going to be difficult. And I, even this week as I was sharing the gospel with someone um, they were, they, they were not ripe. <laughs> and I was reminded as I was sharing the gospel with them why you can get so discouraged when you go out and share the gospel. Because there's some people that are just not going to turn. That's okay. But don't quit. Don't quit. Just go and look for someone who's ready. Get ready to take the message to them. They're there. Here's what it says. You... You're here to be salt. I, I put this in the message. I, I've been reading it in the NIV. I put it in the message this week because I wanted to read it to you a little differently. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out God flavors on this earth. Do you believe that? You're here to bring out the God flavor on the earth. So if you're quiet, if you keep it to yourself, where is the flavoring in your neighborhood? If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? How will they taste it? You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage, another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going, to, going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. As public as a city on a hill. Mother Teresa said it this way. She said, nope, that's not what she said. <laughs> Well, you start with one. Here's, here's what the challenge is. The challenge is, is that we think we need to change the world and reality only need to change your world. All of us need to come together and identify what our world is and then we need to change our world. You know, during the whole political discourse that was going on, there was a lot of people saying, Pastor, we need to pray for this nation. We need to pray that we have godly leaders. We need to pray. And, and I, I said something that really kind of raised a shock in most people because the natural pastor responded, oh, yes, we need to fast and pray. We don't need to pray for our nation. We need to disciple it. So many times... We are praying, trying to get, we're trying to pray ourselves out of something that we should be discipling ourselves into. 
It's like we disobey the command, go ye therefore into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And we're like, I don't want to do that, but I want to have the blessing of a God-favored nation. So I'm going to pray and ask God to do the work for me. And God says, why don't you do the commandment and you'll receive the blessing? Does that make sense? But we'd rather pray our way out of it than do the work of discipling people into it. This world is not, can I, can I just give you a, a very logical piece of information? This country will not change if all you do is pray for it. It must be discipled back to the place. People need to hear the message of Jesus Christ. People, because, and you say, well, how do you know that, Pastor? Because I know history. People have been trying to pray themselves back into something for years. Look at, look at the, where Europe has gone because they were just trying to pray themselves back rather than disciple themselves into what God is doing. Are you getting this today? We have to dis make disciples of men. And yet, millennials, millennials, only 18% only of millennials believe that we should share our faith with people around us. Gen Zers, my children... Only 4% of them say they should share their faith, that that's something that they should do. In fact, half of them say you should not share your faith. It's personal and it should not be made, and we should not make other people feel that, that uncomfortable with the message. Isn't that amazing? Amen. That's amazing. That was amazing. <laughs> I was afraid the rocks were going to cry out. Anyway, um, do this with me. Put, fold your arms. Fold your arms. Okay? You've done that a thousand times, right? Do you know that you've done it the same way a thousand times, but there are two ways to do it? Now, now do it the other way. Yeah, that's right. How uncomfortable is that? You're like, you're like, okay, now, now clasp, your, clasp, clasp your hands together. Now, you know, you know there's two ways to do that. Now, do it the other way. Some of you are thinking, I can't even pray like this. I got to get it back to the, right? Isn't it, is it amazing you've done it a thousand times you do it? Sharing, being salt and light to the world is going to be uncomfortable, it, it's often not what we do, but we ha you're not going to become comfortable with it until you start preaching. Until you start, well, what if I don't know what to say or what to do? Well, good, then the Holy Spirit will put words in your mouth. And, and here's something that, that is so important, because I'm really talking about how are we salt? How do we do that? Here, here's something. If the Holy Spirit doesn't give you something to say, shut up and listen. Sometimes... The Holy Spirit doesn't want you saying anything. He just wants you to listen, and then the Holy Spirit will give you the word that you need to speak that's literally going to crack the, crack the code of their heart. It's going to crack open the, there's just, but listen. A lot of times we're, we get so defensive by some of the things they say, and we feel like we, we make it worse. How many know that's true? Sometimes let them, let them be lost. They're lost. 
So they're going to think differently than you're going to think. They're prisoners in their thinking. Let them be But listen to what the Holy Spirit is telling you, and then let him give you the key that unlocks the lock. It will go a lot better. Our challenge, our challenge in influencing the world we live in is that we need to have a positive influence in their lives that attracts them to what to want a change. We have to have a positive influence in their life. You are salt. The Bible identifies you as salt. The Bible says that you're salt and light. Leaders understand the tides of change and what happens in that. And we, there are four reasons why we make a change. First, we make a change when we hurt enough that we have to. When we're hurt enough, you will change when you hurt enough where you have to change. Every one of us have made changes in our life, not because we wanted to, but sometimes because we had to make a change. You say, I give up, you cry, uncle. I need to change. Here's the second one is see enough that we're inspired to where we see enough that we're inspired. In other words, we see someone that is in such an inspiration in our life and we see what they have become or, and we want to be like that and we're inspired to change to be like that person. Third, we learn enough that we want to. We get a revelation that will change and make a difference in our life. There is a revelation that so changes us that we're like, wow, it pops open. Like, how many know you're believing lies? You believe lies right now. You don't know they're lies. You think it's true. But you believe lies right now. Just raise your hand. Say, yeah, I, be- I believe lies. You know, um, at Kairos on, on Wednesday night, I said, one of, the, one, of, one of the things I believe the Lord does is a lot of us will, will pick churches because they agree with everything I believe. You should never be in a church that, where they agree with everything you believe because there are some things you don't believe that are lies. Some things that you believe that are lies. You need, you need a place that stretches what you see, there are things, your lies will never be confronted with lies. It only is with truth, and God only reveals truth. But when it's revealed, it will completely change the way you see the world. We don't do what we know, we do what we believe. We don't do what we know, we do what we believe. Well, I know I should tithe. Well, you won't until you believe it. I know I, should go and, I know I should go and tell my neighbors about Jesus. You won't until you believe you should go tell your neighbor. I know Jesus died on a cross for my sins, but you won't be saved until you believe it. There is a difference. Here's the, third, the fourth thing. Receive enough that we're able to. And this is the key to all of it. And, and it's we, you know, I grew up in a very humanistic form of Christianity, and that form of humanistic form of Christianity said, all the power of change is in you. You have the power to change. You have the willpower. You need to just act better. You need to behave better. And then you'll make God happy with you. And the reality is that's what got man in trouble in the first place was the knowledge of good and the knowledge of evil. 
Man decided that they had the power to change. Friend, all power that can change you comes from the tree of life, Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes. He is the power that changes you. That's why I don't look at people who are struggling in their life with a judgmental eye because I know in the end, their deliverance comes through the tree of life. It comes through Christ. And every one of us in here, if we're not sharing our faith, it isn't because you're bad or you, you just, you have this, it's because there's either a lie that you believe that prevents you from sharing it because you were created to be the salt of the earth. You were created to be the light of the world. And the only thing that prevents you is a lie that we believe that literally keeps us from being God's mouthpiece. We need a revelation. How many say, I need a revelation because there are people in my life. So how, how, how am I going to be salt and light? How can I be salt and light? How can I be salt and light? Um, one, uh, isn't it funny how a lot of times uh, we preach, uh, well, the question I have is, this is the question, I, who are you preaching to? Who are you preaching to? You know, it's funny... Because a lot of believers love to preach to believers. I mean, we sit down at the kitchen table, and we're preaching to the choir. We're talking about how all those, and, and, and a lot of those sermons we preach at the table with other believers is about how bad the politicians are, and it's how bad the neighbors are, and, and, and they better repent or they're going to go to hell, you know, and, and we talk, and, we're, and we're, it's amazing how we preach to people who already know how many people do we sit at our table that we share the hope and love of Jesus with that don't know? I had a friend in high school. His name was Brian Leak. And uh, I was able to lead a couple of friends to the Lord while I was in high school. And this one was a toughie. He's now a, a philosopher professor at Penn State University. And uh, so I got to call him Dr. Brian uh, but he was a twin, and uh, we were pretty close growing up through high school, him and his brother, and there was a group of us. And uh, he and I, would, we would literally walk for an hour, two hours, and we would, he, would, he was so stinking hard-headed, stubborn, and bold. <laughs> Did I just describe me? <laughs> Uh, so you got two of us, and in Wisconsin, we're not passive-aggressive. We just punch you in the face and tell you we love you. <laughs> uh, it, it, it's just, and so, so we would go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth for, for all of our high school years. Well, two and a half of those years where we would just, and he just would not, and he goes to college and gets saved in the first three months. Uh, it was pretty frustrating for me, but the, the <laughs> I'm like, why God? I did all the work and he gets the credit. No, it, it, uh, you, the reality is every one of us will stand before an incredible light, the incredible beauty of Jesus Christ. And we will in that moment look back through our life and say, wow, I could have done more. You're amazing. God, why didn't, I, why didn't I put aside all those other passions? Uh, you know what I've noticed? And my grandfather said this many years ago. He was a pastor. He said, 
Sports is the idol of America. More people in this country worship at the altar of a team, worshiping them, than they do at the altar of the Creator. And many believers find themselves in the same chapel. They're more passionate, they're more passionate about a four-hour football game than an hour and 15-minute time of just intense worship to the Lord. We'll buy more stuff to put money in people's pockets that don't even care about us then we will to take the message of the good news to the world. Amen. Amen. That is so true. Isn't that true? That is true, man. I, that is amazing. And yet we'll enter into eternity and say, God, I loved you, but I didn't love your kids. You say, but I did love his kids. They're really, in all of the years we live, is it possible to not have led at least one to the Lord? I mean, go to a junior high kid. They'll say, they'll believe everything you tell them. At least you'll have one. Is it possible that we wouldn't lead just one to Jesus? What are the odds of that? And I think it's not so much, well, they, didn't, they really aren't, didn't accept, or was it because I didn't preach? I wasn't, I wasn't like, I was hiding under a bushel. I'm hiding under a bushel. Is the message that powerful? How many believe the message is that incredible, that powerful? It gave me life and hope. It gave me the breath of God. And I'm suggesting that in my life, it didn't change anyone else's life because of, I'm not trying to get mean or rude here. I'm just trying to get us to be real here. I think we're so absorbed in our life, worshiping our life, that we realize it's passing away. There is nothing in our life worthy of worship. Not even your kids. Not even your spouse. Only him. Only Him. And, and the Bible says that when we worship Him, that we need to first value people. How do we do this? We value people by connecting to them. Why? Because God, look at, look at what, because Jesus saw people. That if we're going to be Christ-like, we need to see people. We need to see them. We need, he saw people. I need to see people for more than just being an obstacle or a resource. People in so many, in America, in our culture that we live in, and, and even around the world, uh, we, Satan gets us to see people as an obstacle of what I'm trying to do or as a resource to get me to where I want to go. Obstacle or resource. They're the ones to get me to this place. And in reality, all of my resources are given to me for people. But the enemy turns it upside down. He says, people have all been given to you to promote you to that place that you need to be. Where God says, no, I've given you everything. I've given you favor and resources 
for the people in your life. It's for others, for the, the, to love people. Look at this. Look at Jesus valued everyone, even the people you think are evil. Even the people you don't like, Jesus loves them. They are the object. Before you get too judgmental and, and, and attacking in your words and critical of leaders and people around you because of things they've done, just remember, that's his kid. And I don't care how bad my child would be, if I heard you say something about that child, it would be like a, a, a dagger in my heart because I love that child regardless of what he's done in his life or she has done in, in their life. I would love that child. Do you think God loves them any less because of their behavior? You know why I rejoice in that? Because God didn't love me any less because of mine. God loves them, but we get on and we attack them, we're critical of people, we, 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 we backstab them, and, and we gossip about them. Listen, do you know who you're talking about? The child of the king, the one I say I love, and if I love the father, don't I also love the children? Didn't Jesus say, listen, listen to this, and, and this is so true. God said this, or it was said in John, 1 John. God is love, right? And Jesus said, what's the greatest command there is? To love your Father with all your heart, mind, and soul. And then he said, and then love your neighbor as yourself. It is the same command. In 1 John it says, how can you say that you love me if you don't love my kids? Because my kids come from me. They're me. Jesus was saying, you can't love me with all your heart, mind, and soul and not love my kids. It's the same command. Because he sees us as one. He, he literally sees we came from him. We, we have a part of God's identity in each one of us. We make up together a picture of who God is. Matthew 25 says this, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was homeless and you gave me room. I was shivering and they, obviously he was in Minnesota. I was shivering and you gave me clothes. I was sick and you stopped to visit. I was in prison and you came to me. Then those sheep were going to say, Master, what are you talking about? When did we ever see you hungry, feed you thirsty and give you a drink? When we do that, and when did we ever see you sick and in prison and come to you? Then the king will say, I'm telling you the solemn truth. Whenever you did one, do we believe the word of God? Because I'm, we're living in a time where people kind of have cast it out. Do you believe, is this a place that believes in the Bible and believes the word of God? Look what it says, whenever you did one of these things that someone overlooked or ignored, <laughs> that was me. He's saying that was me. Why? Because they're my kids. Whenever you do something for one of my kids, I rejoice. You, you know, for those that came to their graduation party and you gave them the money that helped them get through their, the, the school and all the stuff they had to do, you, it was as if you were doing it for me. I rejoiced. There was something in me that was, was appreciative to you because you took care of my kids. 
Because you loved my... How many parents in here know what I'm talking about? Your kid was astray, but somebody came along and, and, and took time to invest in your kids. And you love that person because of what they did for your kids. Same. Where do you think that attitude and character and heart comes from? It comes from the Father. He put it in us because we're created in His image. He said, that was me. You did it to me. When you value people, you aren't just valuing that person. You are valuing God in your life. You're saying, God, you are so important to me that I'm going to value them. And when I value them, it's, it's as though I'm valuing you in my life. Jesus loves people. Jesus loves people so much that when, he add, when you add value to people, Jesus takes it personally. So you want to give Jesus a hug? Go give somebody a hug. You want to, you want to bless Jesus? Go, go bless somebody. And it will be as if you're doing it to the Lord. Here's the second thing. Here's the second thing. We add value to people. That's influencing we influence them. So first, we value people by connecting to people. Second, we add value to people by influencing people. It is one thing that value, to value people. It's another to add value to them. To stand with them when everybody else is walking away. When they're going through difficult times in their life and you don't have the answers, you sit with them and you cry with them and you spend your life during that time with them. You go through the anguish with them because you see what they're going through and you love them because you love the Father. You, you want to know how much you love God? How many would say, yeah, I, I want to know. I've often wondered, how much do I love God? I can answer that for you in this one question. How much do you love people? How much do you love the people in this room? Would you be willing to go through the anguish they're going through? Would you be willing to pray and to stand with them as they're going through it? Would you be willing to fast and pray to see a miracle in their life with them? And you say, well, I got a lot of issues in my life. Would you add to your issues of life by adding their issues to that list? Because you love them. Because when you do, you add value to them. Five things. You can do every day to add value to people. One is to see them. To see them. To not be all caught up in what I need, but, and, and you know the reality. Let's, let's be real. Most of us feel like, oh, I just feel so disconnected from the church I'm in at the workplace. I just feel, and, and you know what it comes down to is nobody cares what I'm going through. And so we all come and sit in our little chairs and we pay, pay attention to our own little lives. And we're waiting for people to come to us to add value into our life. While we're so consumed with our own issues, we never stop to see other people. And we're like, that place isn't a caring place. That place doesn't love people. How about we just make it personal? And ask the question, do I love people? Or am I so consumed with my issues, which are real, they're real issues. But there's a principle that I think comes through in every single message. You reap what you sow. You know, if you need connecting, you add value and you'll reap people who will add value. 
As you sow value, you'll reap value. It's a principle that is is incredible. And and as believers, we are people of faith that know that God is going to work everything out in this situation. But I have the opportunity, because of that faith, I have the opportunity then to step into other people's situations and to stand with them and add value, to see them, to think of ways to add value to people. It isn't just something that happens, but we meditate on ways that I can add value. Lord, I see that situation in their life. I've heard a rumor about it. How can I add value in their life how can I do something in their life if you don't if you don't meditate on how to do that you'll never get to number three which is look for ways to exercise adding value to people there are some people I was thinking of Jason Winchlog's father who's sitting down here Roger was was very 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 uh, gifted in adding value to people he thought of ways to do it and then he exercised it and everywhere he went almost every Sunday he would add value into my life uh, and and he's passed on now into eternity but he understood the importance of looking for ways to exercise adding value and then he would do things to add value to people he would meet waiters and waitresses get to know them and then connect them to people that could help them because he's like I want to add value into the lives of people you see when you start adding value into the lives of people you will have influence that will change your world it isn't just going to come because you're good looking some of you are thinking really I'm 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 pretty good looking (laughs) I gotta let me add a moment of levity here you want to hear a story and, and my wife will probably tell me not to say this joke in any other messages. So you're going to get to hear it, and she'll tell me not to tell it. But there were four women who had four sons, and uh, they were all Catholic. And, and this one woman says, she, they're all proud of their sons. And the, and the first woman says, my son is, is uh, whenever he enters the room, everybody looks at him and says, your father uh, and, and, and they're like, oh, that's, that's good, that's good. The second mom says, well, my, when my son a- enters the room, uh, uh, he, was, he says, your eminence. And, uh, and no, that's good. And the third mother goes, well, yeah, that's great. But when my son enters the room, uh, they go, holy father. Hmm, very interesting. The fourth one looked at him and goes, wow, that's impressive. My son's six foot four, built like uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger with the looks of Brad Pitt. And when he enters the room, everybody says, oh, my God. (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) I have no idea how I got on that joke, but that was funny. So you do things to add value to people. And number five, inspire others to add value to people. That, that, that's the ultimate is when, when, you, when you see people that are adding value to people and how it impacts people, it inspires other people to do the same. Now, let, let me stop. In the culture we're living in, it's easy to fall in the trap of taking away value from people. It is easy to fall in the trap point out all of the reasons why they're not worthy, why they're not good, why, where we tear down. I mean, how often are we true, now, now this is, I, 
I, I get it, okay? I even hesitate to say this, but, but the reality is how often have we become more gifted in preaching the satanic message of taking away from people than the Holy Spirit message of adding to people? Don't, don't for a moment think that when you're tearing down someone, that isn't the message of hell. That when I attack the image of God, no matter who they are of what they've done, that I am, I am really being a light on a hill for the enemy. And if the church is preaching Satan's message, who's preaching God's? Who's adding value into the lives of people? Who's lifting people up? Who's bringing hope into the world? Who? If we're not, who's going to do that? If we're not salt, who's going to be salt? And if we're not the light of Christ, who's going to be the light of Christ? We're wasting our energy and influence to perpetuate a message that Satan is putting in our heart. 1 Corinthians 9 says, uh, even though I am free in the, of the demands and expectations of everyone, I have, the vo- have a voluntary to become a servant to any and all in order to reach a wide range of people, religious, non-religious, meticulous, moralist, loose, living, immoralist. The, I love this verse. The defeated, the demoralized. Some of you are saying, I feel that way right now. Whoever I didn't take on their way of life, I kept my bearings in Christ. But look at this. But I entered their world and tried to experience things from their point of view. Doesn't mean that they stepped in and fell in the traps they were in, but he wanted, he's saying, I wanted to know why they thought the way they thought. So I could, I've become just about every sort of servant there is in my attempt to do what? And a God-saved life. I did all of this because of the message Look at this. I didn't just want to talk about it. This isn't just getting people to believe what you believe. And that's what we've turned this into. I just got to get them to believe what I believe. I have to win the argument. I got to win the debate. We've turned it into a debate, and that's not what this is about. Jesus was never trying to win a debate. He was trying to get them to experience what we've experienced. This is about a testimony of a changed life. This is about them experiencing the power of God, experiencing the hope of God. More important than all of that, experiencing the love of a father. I think that's one of the biggest reasons we don't share the gospel. Because although we need to know and we believe Jesus died on the cross for our sins, we haven't completely become believers in the life of Christ. We stopped along the way at the cross and we've been living around the cross and not walking in the kingdom. 
And friend, it's when you walk in the kingdom of God and you begin to experience the power of the Holy Spirit in your life that you begin to become a believer that this is way better than where I was. That I can't help, as it says in Acts 4.19, you determine for yourself whether we should shut up or not about Jesus. But as for us, we cannot help ourselves to talk about it because he's just been too good to me. He's just done too much for me. He has just put my feet on a rock that is not shaken, and I cannot keep my mouth quiet anymore. Because I experienced not religion, I experienced a relationship with the creator of the universe. I experienced something real. If I see you as weak, I will help you. If I see you as broken, I will fix you. If I see you as valuable, I will serve you. That's where the Lord brings us back to as salt and earth, salt and light. That if people, if we see the people around us as valuable, we will serve them with everything we have. That it won't be about accumulating, it won't be about getting all the stuff that we need to get, but if I see people as people of value, I will see them as the most important thing in my life and I will serve them to get influence in their life, to, to bring them to a point where they experience the Jesus that I've experienced. This isn't about manipulating people to get them to your opinion. This is about setting them free in the truth. You know, what, what literally, and we talk about this in Kairos, if, if you've never been there, we'll be doing it here in Richfield in the spring. But freedom is not getting out of addictions. Freedom is not about getting out of the prison you're, they're in and maybe you're in. That's not freedom. We've turned freedom into getting out of what we know and all the things that are holding us back. Freedom is running into the space that's out there. It's all of that out there. It's what we haven't experienced in the prison cell. There is so much more to be experienced but you got to come out from underneath the bushel. You have to see people you have to value. Here's, here's the last two. Live good values. Live good values. Attracting. When you, when you have value, when you value people, you will be attracted to people because they will know authentic value. They'll know, they know that you love them, that you care about them, and they will be attracted to you. It will give you influence. Here's the fourth one. Share good values. Share good values. Make them disciples so that they become people who transform the world around. You want to change the world? Worry about yours. Stop worrying about the globe. It will just overwhelm you and it will paralyze you. Worry about the world God has put in. Pray, and I don't even mean worry about it, but focus on the world around you. Invest in the world around you and trust that God will move the hearts of the people around you to work in their world, and we will change the world. Twelve disciples proved it. Twelve disciples proved that if you go to a space and you start sharing the gospel, it will transform a world. There are people, and, and I'm going there after Thanksgiving, the Sunday after Thanksgiving, I'm leaving to go to Burkina Faso to de dedicate... Uh, three buildings that we built there, a library, some dormitories, and classrooms. And you, you built there that last year. This year, you built those, those facilities. And I was just told by Sam that there are more pastors that have died because in Mali, 
there's insurgents that come over from Mali and they, they'll kill pastors. A few years ago, you'll remember a pastor on Easter Sunday, two of them were shot and killed in their church in front of their kids. I met one of the wives last time I was there uh, and she's as bold and emboldened to go back to that city. Why? Because she's had an experience with the Creator. What causes you to lay down your life you can love God and not go to places to spread the message, but it's when you're willing to pay your life to take a message to people who haven't heard, that's when you know that you love the Father because even your own life isn't even close to what the worth of how much you love Jesus is. When you love Jesus that much that you're willing, and, and it made me, when I heard her story, she's telling, I'm like, and I'm struggling <laughs> with some of the challenges I have Dear God, forgive me. God, open my heart. Make it bigger for the people. You know, we often say, God, expand our territory. Expand our kingdoms. And God wants us to get to the point where we're saying, God, let us be a part of expanding your kingdom. Your kingdom. Let, let us bring people to the point... I, to the point where I would be willing to die with it. That's just how valuable this message is to me. Paul said, to die is gain. But if I'm going to live, I'm going to live it in Christ. I'm going to live it with the passion of Christ. I'm going to live it with the attitude of Christ. I'm going to live it with the vision of Christ. I'm going to live it with the love of Christ and the grace of Christ. But if I live, I'm going to do it as Christ lived. Right? I know some of us are sitting here and thinking, boy, that's just way out there, Pastor. Can you finish up? I want to watch the football game this afternoon. Will you stand? I know it's a heavy message. But it's going to be a whole lot heavier in eternity when we're standing before the multitude of people. And maybe there are some that would be in eternity in heaven with us. It's not a matter of will you live forever. Everybody's going to live forever. You were created immortal. Every single person was created to be immortal. Everybody was. It's not a matter of whether you'll live or not. The question is, where will be my address? Where's my address? Father, right now I pray for every person in this room. Lord God, you're only your Holy Spirit can communicate this in a way that will bring revelation. Only you can do that, Lord. You know my heart. You know my heart isn't to discourage or defeat in or condemn anyone. In fact, the Bible says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So any condemnation that may be in the room literally becomes from the enemy right now. And I command condemnation to leave. Lord, I pray that this would be a new day, a new way of thinking, a new direction, a new path. Lord God, that we take advantage of the life you've given us to become channels that broadcast that life to the people around us. Freely, intently, passionately, and with the anointing of your spirit, I pray in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen.